0: Back to Louisville Reads, I'm your host Dave Campbell here on your community radio station, 106.5 FM, WFNPLP Louisville, reviewing the gorgeous 2021 Man Booker Prize winner, The Promise, by South African novelist Damon Galgut. Interview with the author on the back half. Stay tuned. I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! Greetings to all Democracy Now! listeners on Pacifica Affiliate Forward Radio 106.5 FM WFMP-LP in Louisville, Kentucky. This grassroots community radio station relies on volunteer power and your financial support to continue broadcasting the progressive national and homegrown local programming you've come to expect from Forward Radio. At a time when our public airwaves are being gobbled up by corporate interests, here's an open mic dedicated To local voices, civic engagement, and community empowerment, please go to forwardradio.org and pledge your generous support today. Thank you so much. Welcome to episode 29 of Louisville Reads. Wasting no time whatsoever, finishing up our four-part series exploring contemporary Pan-African and African-American letters started in January, reviewing 2021 Nobel Prize winner for literature, Abdulrazak Gurnah's Paradise. Followed in February, reviewing 2021 National Book Award for Nonfiction, Harvard historian Dr. Tia Miles, All That She Carried, The Journey of Ashley Sack, A Black Family Keepsake for Black History Month. And last month, reviewing African-American novelist Jason Mott's Hell of a Book. This episode, we conclude our series right where we began, in Africa itself. Reviewing South African novelist Damon Galgut's The Promise, 2021 winner of the United Kingdom's prestigious Man Booker Prize. Written by a white Afrikaner, Finally, come to terms with the cost of white colonialism on individuals, on families, on nations, on continents, and ultimately on life itself as South Africa transitions from apartheid to democracy and moral promises, both internal and external, are rendered impossible to fulfill, even if they are fulfilled. Before that, however, we want to give a huge thanks to our listeners and those that donated during our five year anniversary pledge drive in late March and early April. Our goal was to raise $5,000 to keep the station on the air. And not only did we meet our fundraising goal, we exceeded it. Sincere, heartfelt thanks. A friendly reminder that you can support Louisville Reads and Forward Radio at any time during the year. Visit Radio forward slash donate to make a tax-deductible gift for 2022. Also visit us on Facebook at forward slash Lou Reads. That's L-O-U Reads F-M. Visit us on Twitter at forward slash Lou Reads F-M. Visit us on Instagram at forward slash Lou Reads F-M. Follow our YouTube and SoundCloud links to archived episodes for both Louisville Reads and the former Read and Succeed, and leave your thoughts and comments. We would love to hear from you. This is Louisville Reads. I'm Dave Campbell. The interview you are about to hear is a 2021 conversation between Mr. James Wood, British-born staff writer and literary critic for The New Yorker, and South African novelist and playwright Damon Galgut, winner of the 2021 Man Booker Prize for his novel The Promise, and shortlisted for the same prize in 2003 and 2010 respectively the promise is as is befitting a winner of what many consider to be the english language's premier literary award lavishly and beautifully written in english creatively and openly indebted to mid twentieth century american novelist william faulkner's as i lay dying mr galka crafts a similar story of an otherwise inconsequential white family having to navigate the consequences and quite complex consequences they are of living in a society where previous systems of white supremacy, whose benefits reached even them, has now been completely overturned. Galgett simply replaces Faulkner's fictional Bundren family on the rural outskirts of fictional locales in Mississippi with the fictional Swart family on the rural outskirts of the very non-fictional Pretoria South Africa as it endures a long, chaotic, and very non-fictional, and still ongoing, journey from 1980s apartheid to late 2010s post-colonialism. Broken into vignettes of four funerals spread across four decades, the novel begins as the Swart family matriarch dies and commands her three children, Anton, Astrid, and Amore, to leave the family's farmhouse, barely qualifying as a shack to their black housekeeper, Salome, and what this reader assumes was symbolic reparation for European subjugation of the African continent since the late 1880s. Equally symbolic, this reader assumes, are Anton, Astrid, and Amor's inability to see the family follow through on this promise, even when they sincerely desire to do so. Symbolic, this reader also assumes, of white South Africa's ultimate failure to deliver to black South Africans. Each character in each chapter reveals colonialism's fatal flaw, of enmeshing notions of home into the lives and souls of individuals for whom it is not their home, and setting them up for a promise of return when colonialism renders the true promise of return impossible to keep. Simply put, the promise argues that colonialism, and particularly race-based colonialism, operates like the past and like death itself. It marks a point of no return for all involved, no matter how many promises are sincerely made otherwise. This is Louisville Reads. I'm Dave Campbell.
1: My name's Kevin. I'm one of the event hosts here at Powell's Books. Today, we're very excited to welcome Damon Galgut in conversation with James Wood. Winner of the 2021 Booker Prize, Damon Galgut's The Promise is an epic drama that unfurls against the unrelenting march of national history. A modern family saga written in gorgeous prose. Haunted by an unmet promise, the Swart family loses touch after the death of their matriarch. Adrift, the lives of the three siblings move separately through the uncharted waters of South Africa. Anton, the golden boy who bitterly resents his life's unfulfilled potential. Astrid, whose beauty is her power. And the youngest, Amor, whose life is shaped by a nebulous feeling of guilt. Reunited by four funerals over three decades, the dwindling family reflects the atmosphere of its country, one of resentment, renewal, and ultimately, hope. Galgut is the author of several books and plays. Two of his novels, The Good Doctor and In a Strange Room, were both shortlisted for the Booker Prize in previous years. Damon joins us from Cape Town, South Africa. Damon will be joined in conversation by James Wood, staff writer at The New Yorker. Since his first essay collection, The Broken Estate, in 1999, he has been regarded as one of the leading literary critics in the world. His newer books include How Fiction Works and Serious Noticing, Selected Essays 1997 to 2019. He's joining us from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Damon, James, we're thrilled to have you both with us. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you very much for that introduction. Uh, Damon, it's a a treat to see you. As you know, I uh, was and am a great admirer uh, of your latest novel, The Promise, Um, which recently won the Booker Prize, um, and I thought that perhaps the best place to to the, the thing that, that interests me most as a as a first question is um, one of its marks of distinction, uh, it being the style in which it's written. Um, it uh, it has a it has a kind of um, what seems to me a sort of modernist narrator which allows you to um move between different characters often inhabiting a character's voice but also when you want to um moving slightly away from uh that character's voice uh sort of hovering inside and outside at the same time um and when i wrote about the book uh in in the new yorker i naturally gestured towards Modernist predecessors like Faulkner and Virginia Woolf. I'm particularly thinking uh, Say of the the middle of to the lighthouse where Virginia Woolf describes um, Ten years uh, in the life of a house when when no one is there um, But there may be uh, there there may there may well have been other um, Other models for you and I just wanted really to ask you first of all about this style um at what point in the writing of the book did you realize ah that 's what that 's what I need to get this four piece this four part um, uh, book of of funerals uh, going so at what point did, did that seem essential uh, and and where, as it were, were you looking uh, if at all uh, in literature for uh, for
3: for examples of that
2: being successfully manipulated
3: um One thing the booker does, of course, is, um, you know, set up multiple, multiple platforms for conversation. So I'm I'm keen to answer you um, with as much freshness and sincerity as I can. I have spoken in quite a few interviews about the discovery of the voice, um, which came about through the writing of a film script or a couple of drafts of a film script that, that were offered to me. But I think it's true to say that um, I'd made a start on the novel and was maybe about 20,000 words into it um, when I I had this diversion into film, and it was only when I returned from the rewriting of the film script uh, to the book that I suddenly saw that I could import, as it were, um, the logic of a camera Mm. to... The viewpoint of the narration in the book up till then i'd been working in quite a stolid um earthbound and traditional sort of way um, which is to say uh using a narrator who i was um, whom I was you know going to great lengths to try to make invisible and um to conceal to give you know the what seemed to me the required impression that um you know the narrator is not there? You're looking through a pane of glass at these sequence of the sequence of events, um, but I was extremely frustrated with it. So I, and I guess my frustration, without um, necessarily being articulated to myself as such, came around the fact that I, I feel um, innately. Um, Constrained by whatever um, voice I adopt i mean i 'm sure lots of writers feel that mm. um, I mean in the most obvious sense if you're writing in the you know a first person narration you you cannot move outside the right. skull of that particular person um, but even of course, uh, an omniscient third person narrator has its limits um, anyway what what i what I discovered with um, the cinematic logic that I brought to the book was that inside a scene I could cut from one point of view to another um, that I could you know pull right back and give a um a more detached cold view of a of a a happening or a conversation, um, or else move in and and focus in a much more granular way on a a particular detail um, Mm. and still sort of maintain a a kind of a forward momentum. Now, I'd like to answer you and say that, um, you know, the origins of this kind of thinking lay in very particular modernist writers, and in a sense that's true, because my writing sensibility was formed... um, I think as it is for most of us in, in my much earlier years um, when I was reading voraciously and the writers that excited me the most were, you know, modernist writers
2: mm. who
3: seemed to me, um, I mean, I may be wrong and uh, I would happily be corrected by you, but it seems to me that that modernism was uh, perhaps the period when the the novel was at its height, certainly at its boldest and most, experimental, um, with with well, the most probably. self-conscious sense of its own power. Yes. I mean, that, those possibilities seem to have dwindled a great deal as the novel has moved, you know, from the centre of cultural life much much more to the margins, I think. But, um, you know, I had not read Virginia Woolf at that time, and the first time I encountered her was actually during the writing of this book. But the spirit of Faulkner certainly hangs very heavy over it, and, and one of the books that...
1: Uh, yeah. excited
3: me most in my early years was um, as I lay dying with you know, what, what he's doing with voice. But um, when I did encounter Virginia Woolf, um, you know, she indeed does play with voice in much the same way, but what, what she does with time is, is very much more um, sort of enthralling or, or central to her project, it seems to me. So yes, I, I think in different ways, those writers and others gave me a kind of permission um, to be bold and 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 you know to push uh, into all kinds of nooks and crannies that um, you know a more traditional approach would certainly not allow. Um, but in fact, the you know the impulse, the the origin was not in literature; it was in film. I mean, I I, I do love film, um, while. Again, in a different sort of way, being frustrated with its limits, but that's that's another conversation, I guess. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. that's a, that's, a, that's a very roundabout answer, but I, I think that was
2: terrific and and very interesting because because actually, for, for, for so often when people think about the logic of the camera or the logic of the of, of cinema in fiction in realist terms. They don't think about it as you do. Uh, they tend to think about it as you were thinking about it when you started writing your novel. That's to say, um, an impersonal and invisible uh um authorial presence who doesn't have a lot of freedom but is simply there to 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 watch things. Whereas you you've taken you've taken that that realist logic, if that's what it is, and then and then through the transformations that the of, of voice on the page it's it's not exactly realist anymore it's it, it, i was completely fascinated um by it um there were, i just want to give an example because um not everyone here will have read the book um i ha- i hope most have but um but for instance there's a bit there's a bit where you describe anton growing up uh, anton as a baby uh, and and the, the black um uh, housemaid, uh, housekeeper, Salome. Um, and you write, she has seen him grow up from a tottering infant to a golden boy to this, whatever he is now. When he was little, he used to call her mama and a common South African confusion. That, what what then you're able to do, that that last little bit is, is, it, it, it was tremendously exciting for me to read it because suddenly I it brought back something I love in literature, and then I feel precisely, as you were suggesting, is not present enough in contemporary literature and that's the power of irony. Um, this this sort of double consciousness uh, that the narrator allows you to, to to sort of, I mean, in the passage I just read the narrator is sort of in Salome's possibly in Salome's consciousness for a minute as she's looking at Anton, maybe. And then moves away from Anton into this dryly ironic, um, you know, common South African confusion, which doesn't really belong to anyone in the text. Um, and that's where that's where real energies and ironic force can 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 be used. The only other writer, contemporary writer that I can think of who really likes doing this kind of thing is uh, the Portuguese novelist Saramago, um, who will often sort of break away into kind of proverbial almost like a sort of Greek chorusy kind of uh, thing in which, in which proverbs are used ironically to, to qualify what's going on in the text. But I, I, I loved it because, uh, um, because if you think of, of, how, of, of the sort of historical richness that, and complexity that you're dealing with here, then an ironic voice is absolutely what's needed. Once
3: you begin to, to make these um, abrupt jumps in points of view, Mm-hmm. You immediately draw attention to the fact that this is an artificial construction. Um, yeah. You you yeah. abandon the pretense that you are a clear plate, pane of glass um, and become a camera, as it were. Yeah. So my what I did was instead of um, you know trying trying to minimize the role of the of the narrator, I, I I went in the other direction and and thought, let me. Let me build on the fact that um, there very clearly is a presence of some sort narrating this moment and the one that follows and so on. In other words, all stories are told by somebody. So let us amplify the sense that this is a story being told to you. Um, Part of the artificiality, it seems to me, of storytelling um, is is not only in the stability of or or, or the the, uh, perceived stability of narration, it's also in the perceived stability of the narrative tone. So um, different stories, if you like, can be narrated w- with slightly different voices, different inflection, different, um, yeah, different tones. So hmm. I allowed the voice to slide, as it were, um, between different, not, not only different perspectives, but, but but between different tones at the same time, which, which, you know, um, in an instinctual way, I guess, correspond with the perspective of the moment. So to make that less abstract, um, there are times when the narration pulls right, right back out of uh, almost out of the human element of the scene, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Um, uh, Which one of my editors said to me uh, felt like a kind of cruelty. Um, And... I think the tone does become cold at, at very particular moments when when the point of view is quite distant, but then you know I I like to think I make up for that by by moments when the narration um, actually pulls in so close to a character that it falls as it were into that character's head. Um, you've you've uh, referred to the, the technique I think as close third person, mm-hmm. um, but w- which is the opposite of cold. I think there's a, there's a, a it, it becomes so warm that in fact it it um, it lapses um, this particular narrative into into the first person at particular moments you're so close to a character that you're actually speaking in their voice at a particular yes. time and you're right it it opens a kind of a choral effect um and'm I'm, I'm, I'm very glad you mentioned uh, Saramago Margo in your review and again now because because um he very much was an influence. I mean, I love Saramago's writing and, and that sort of choral music, as it were, that um, he builds up. Um, although I, I think I consciously made it a little bit more discordant uh, than he does, because the South African chorus is quite a discordant one, and I, I wanted to get some of that jangle. <laughs>
0: For those who are joining us, this is a 2021 interview between literary critic for The New Yorker, Mr. James Wood, and South African novelist Damon Galgut, about Mr. Galgut's 2021 winner of the Man Booker Prize, The Promise. The host for this event was Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon. To learn more about Powell's Books, please visit Powell's.com. To listen to this entire episode, please visit us on Facebook at forward slash Lou Reads FM.
2: I know exactly what you mean about that, that moving from from an almost cold externality into the interior. Um, I mean, an, an example that I've seen, I'm thinking of a particularly wonderful one is when you're describing the house at night and people asleep um, and, you know, thin walls separate consciousnesses. Uh, someone is asleep, you know, Astrid is asleep in one bed. Um, uh, someone else is asleep next door and you can just essentially move between their dreams, b- between their sleeping uh, or they're waking and um that's that feels very intimate actually um for all that for all that a, a camera as it were, is silently stealthily moving between rooms, which might suggest something not intimate but it, it's a it 's just one of those wonderful alchemies of of voice um and in recent months i 've just found when people students or otherwise have been asking me oh i 'm really interested in free and direct style, and uh, give me Give me a contemporary example. I, I've I've said to most of them, The Promise. Go and look at The Promise because you'll see a, a fluid movement between third and first person, between outside and inside, between external commentary and an intimate inhabiting uh, of, of a character. Um, yeah, you mentioned the, the external thing. The book ends. Uh, let's remind um, uh, listeners of the book pretty much ends with quite alarming uh, voice saying other stories will write themselves over yours scratching out every word, even these. Um, That's that's about as external as you could get. Um, You mentioned the South African uh, context, Damon, and I wanted to, of course, ask you about that. Um, The. The farmhouse novel. um, The family novel. In my review i mentioned the obvious uh precursors perhaps and and it's it's an by the way it's an annoying critical habit to 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 mention precursors it it delights me that uh that your instinct is to say actually there are fewer precursors than you think that's your job to look for precursors it's not my job as the writer to look for them but anyway i mentioned disgrace um and i mentioned some sort of you know country house novels of the kind like howard's end um, where 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 the house stands for something. But as you know better than I do, um, the South African tradition, and perhaps particularly the Afrikaans tradition, has even more explicitly a sort of farmhouse novel, uh, does it not, as a sort of genre? Um, and, and in some ways, maybe the Kurtzier book that I should have been thinking of was not Disgrace, but an earlier one in the heart of the country. I wondered if you had anything to say about just what it means to write... This kind of novel as a as a white South African writer.
3: Yeah, I mean the 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 farm novel is a is a sort of a a, a staple of South African literature. I mean, maybe more so here than than elsewhere, and i I'd, I'd um, speculate that that has to do with the fact that we're a. Um, an ex-colonial society and you know the occupation of the land um has a kind of a symbolic charge um beyond uh, you know the very obvious practical story that goes with it um so you know the the i i don't i'm not an academic and i i don't have a fully academic understanding of how the farm novel has developed and progressed, except through the reading I've done. Um, you know, it, it probably begins with a with a book like um, Olive Schreiner's uh, Story of an African Farm, and um, you know the uh, the tradition, more or less, in its early colonial years, uh, eclipsed or beautified. You know the the process of subjugation that was going on, subjugation of the land and also of the people that occupied the land um, right. into, into a kind of a vision of, you know, Europe in another place. Um, more recent writers, um, and you mentioned kutsiya have subverted that tradition or, 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 or attempted to do so. In the Heart of the Country was the first Kutsia I ever read and it absolutely did my head in. Um, <laughs> I, I think because I, I just felt, um that he was blowing everything up everything that had been sort of built in a very you know stable and solid way was being inverted and 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 kind of uh, turned upside down so i i was very excited by it um i wasn't i was not again consciously um Adding or, or trying to add to the you know the dialogue or conversation around the the farm novel, but I was aware that that it would be uh, seen as being part of that right. tradition. Right. Um, and can I just this is really fascinating. What does because
2: I think this is something that that must be I wouldn't say uniquely difficult, but but peculiarly difficult for. South African writers, in a way that perhaps it isn 't for 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 some of us um, what does it what does it mean when you 're writing a book to be to some extent aware of how it will be read that it will be seen in a particular way linked to a tradition does that Does that feel like a burden does it did, did you sometimes wish that that i mean i 'm just interested in that as a as a as a feeling while you 're writing
3: well is that so unique to South Africa, I'm aware, I'm aware that, you know, certain aspects of that um, very much are unique to South Africa, but, um, you know, I don't know enough about uh, American literature, say, to know if there is something like a farm novel uh, tradition there, but if there is, you, you would probably be aware in some sense that you were contributing to um, some, you know, an established ongoing um, literary sequence of of some sort. I mean, I think, what you might be referring to—not that I want to put words in your mouth—is the fact that um, everything is so very highly charged here. So, mm. whatever decision you take, um, even a literary one, um, yeah, is 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 contributing or taking away from, uh, you know, books that resonate in a in far more than a, a literary sense, which. You know, what you what you said in your review in the New Yorker um, was absolutely apt that you know uh, a farm novel in South Africa can never just be a farm novel. You know, the farm has to stand in for the nation in some way. Um, and yes, I guess that is a burden. I mean, it's um you, you feel the weight of speaking for more than what your your narrative or your story might simply be saying. You you right. you know you're you know you're representing something larger um on the other hand i have to say that because because the um you know language is going to be inadequate here but 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 because the issues one is tapping into in south africa are still so immediate and so real and so consequential the themes one is dealing with are likewise consequential yeah so um you know you, in a certain sense it's 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 uh, a literature in bondage as kutsiya said but in in another way there's a gift uh yes. that comes along with it because this is not just writing that's abstraction and air it's writing that matters you know what you're writing about is really yes. important for human beings so you know the the weight of it is both uh you know a a, a kind of ball and chain and, and also uh, um a responsibility that's a kind of gift. I'm, I'm sorry, as I say, language is inadequate. No, no, you can, I could um, absolutely, I could absolutely tell that. It answers a, I mean, you partially.
2: It really answers it, uh, because the, because you can see, what's beautiful about the form of the book is you can see you absolutely directly taking on that burden, right? As if, it's as if you said, okay, yes, I know that the Farmhouse is going to be seen as the as the as the nation let 's say the nation of white south africa um, i can 't write about the land i can 't write about a a a, 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 a black servant uh, who has has been dispossessed and promised something without bringing all that in so I will absolutely take it and own it and i will I will construct a form wonderfully brief let 's say i mean this isn 't a long book, but I will take a form in which in four parts. I moved between distinct phases, right, from sort of 1986 to 2018 of the development of of modern South Africa. And I was just, I I just, I loved the elegance of that form. I mean, each section is what, 60, 70 pages, and fully inhabits that particular um, uh, political moment. And I just, I was thinking sort of jealously while I was reading it, how would that work in an English novel, how would that work in an American novel. Um, There's no reason why it couldn't, but I think you're absolutely right that when you write as a South African writer, it's not only you've got that elegant form working for you, you've got the particular consequence, as you put it, heaviness uh, of these themes um, as they've been playing out in the 80s and 90s. We have Mandela becoming president and Jacob Zuma in 2018 and so on. Um, I, I yeah it's it gives the it gives the book a lot of a lot of weight
3: yeah i, I wonder if it doesn't in a certain sense sort of bring it back uh well uh, you know a little closer to you know the origins of of writing in the sense that you know where where greek drama uh first sort of um played out um of of yeah uh, close close to the beginnings of myth, if you like, um, where re- religion and storytelling, uh, you know, um, came together. Not not that religion is a is a you know an essential part of this book, but uh, I, I think yeah. you take take
2: my point. I do. Uh, I, again, part, I think part of the part of the I mean, I like to think that as you're writing it, you must have felt, at some moment, as one does excitedly about form when form has locked into place. I've got it. I've got the form. Because something about those four sections, but also, as you see, this mythic structure uh, of four, four deaths, four funerals, uh, first the matriarch, then the patriarch. Um, the whole question of Anton's uh promise sort of dribbling away, but in some way, this is a chronicle foretold. We know that that's we sort of pretty just as we know he's never going to finish his novel, we sort of know. Uh, that he has to end where it, the novel has to end with his death and um uh yes i felt it had i felt again here perhaps perhaps faulkner comes into it but the way you you were able absolutely to write a contemporary novel that that that, that makes use uh, of of ancient structures um I think it was wonderful.
0: For those who joining us, this is a 2021 interview between literary critic for The New Yorker, Mr. James Wood, and South African novelist Damon Galgut, about Mr. Galgut's 2021 winner of the Man Booker Prize, The Promise. The host for this event was Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon. To learn more about Powell's Books, please visit Powell's.com. To listen to this entire episode, please visit us on Facebook at forward slash Lou Reads FM.
2: Let me just ask you about, the, about again, the, the political thing. Um, I presume as a South African writer, when you're writing this this kind of novel, um, there is going to be, uh, I won't exactly say a decision, because that sounds too conscious, but weighing on you, if you're writing a novel that begins in the 80s and ends in 2018, there is probably going to be the question of, how do I resolve this story? And does it resolve... (laughs) Uh, pessimistically or optimistically um and how open ended could i be um and I wondered to what extent that was sort of weighing a little bit on on you as you were writing particularly i'm thinking of the uh, of the of, of the last section where you know there's a there seems to be a sort of fairly corrupt government going on shortages of water and power um and things aren't aren't exactly looking up,
3: yeah <laughs> No, they aren't. I, um, you know, when I began, my 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 um, my interest and focus primarily was with the family. I, I thought that you know, using this device of four funerals um, in a in an almost theatrical manner, like the four acts of a drama, um, would be an unusual way to tell the story of a family. Mm. The notion of telling any kind of story about the nation behind the family came after that. Um, when I sort of, you know, sat with the idea for a bit and I, I realized that if you if you just widened the the frame a little bit, that you could convey some of the background texture of what was going on in the country. And then I thought, well, you know, if you space the funerals out sufficiently in, in into different decades, there would be a different president in power. Um and that you know the 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 sort of national spirit that you'd be conjuring um, would be quite distinct and different in each in each act of the drama. Yeah. Um, but even on the level just of the family and of individuals in the family getting older, the natural progression is downward, right? I mean, I'm not probably known um, for my optimistic outlook on life generally um and i'm probably drawn to themes that um you know express my uh my view that um you know human life sort of waxes to the full and then declines but i mean that's hardly a contentious view um i wasn't trying with um well, I'm I'm aware that there's a sort of a, a, a double decline. There's there's the you know the individual decline of, of of people getting older and moving closer towards death, and you know the final terminus in that journey is death uh, for all of us. Um, but then there's the, the the secondary story, which is of South Africa. Now, I'd have been very happy to tell a happier um, story about South Africa. Um, And I wasn't trying to, you know, labor the point of South Africa's Africa's decline, not at all. But in conjuring the kind of reigning spirit of of each of the four last decades, um, it's undeniably true that the decline sort of mirrors, you know, the the bodily decline, that we're moving closer towards entropy and... um, disintegration than the you know rather than in the opposite direction I wish I had a happier tale to tell but uh, you know the the promise of the title is not only um, you know the immediate and obvious one of the promise of this piece of land that should have been given to the the black lady who yeah. worked for the family but it, you know it's it's also the promise of a nation that could have been so much better back in 94 we all believed it would be I think you know um, in an yeah. unreal and, and sort of you know a, a kind of euphoric and deluded way um i think things are no longer euphoric um and then yeah less deluded too i mean one thing i can say about the current south african state of mind is that it's far more realistic than it used to be but uh, it's right. not it's not a it's not a great moment that we're in right now no
2: right yeah animated wonderfully in your novel at the end when perhaps i'm giving too much away but you know when it seems as if the promise will be made good, uh, and that Salome will will get the the, the house. But um, uh, as her as her son sort of angrily says, you know, you expect me to be grateful for this? It's too little, too late. Um, and it, that's I think that's that was that was wonderfully done. While we're on the the question of Salome, I suppose another fraught. Well, it's going to be fraught for all writers these days in a in a in an era of uh, of wariness around cultural appropriation inhabiting other people's voices. Um, but I presume again, as a as a white South African writer, writing about an Afrikaans family with uh, a, a black um, servant on the uh, as it were on the side, um, and I, I use that deliberately because she is on the side, um, despite. Amor's uh, desire to bring her to the center. Um, But I presume as a novelist, there is a particular South African novelist, there's a particular fraughtness around, and perhaps I sensed it in the novel of, okay, so I've got this narration which can move freely between characters. How freely do I inhabit Salome, uh, the Black Servant, uh, and how unfreely do I do it? Do I do I make it self conscious? Um, do I just naturally uh, use my novelistic gifts in the way that I would anywhere? Anyone? But so it's it's all that, always that sort of question of sort of allegory in a way that seems to press down, um, particularly on the on this on this form.
3: Yeah, it 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 obviously was a question for me. Do I? Do I range as freely through the minds and inner lives of the black characters as I do, you know, through those of the white characters? Um, And I could, Uh, you know, I there's there's nothing really to stop my imagination ranging past those thresholds. But other things held me back. You know, um, this might seem like a digression, but bear with me for a second. I I sort of have this theory about the novel that it evolved as a kind of a diversion for the middle classes and as such was probably intended to reflect, you know, their own values back at them uh, Mm. originally, which is to say, I think, um, you know, part of the project of novels and it's one i have respect for it's it's not essentially wrong is to provide a certain sort of comfort uh to people in in the sense that um novels open up a world and uh create some kind of rupture in that world some kind of problem that needs to be solved and usually the working out of the novel is the working out of a problem or a series of problems Mm -hmm. um and you know, the, the, the ways in which novels resolve themselves, the, the kind of coherence that they need to have to, to really be satisfying, are also ways of reminding readers that the world can be set to rights, that, you know, good people are rewarded, bad people are punished, and that ultimately um, the ruptures of the world will be healed. Yeah. Now, that seems that seems to me to be slightly meretricious, or maybe more than slightly, in that it doesn't resemble the world as I perceive it. Um, you know, it, it, it resembles some workings of the world, to be sure. But by and large, I think, you know, uh, terrible dictators die peacefully in their sleep. Good people often lead, you know, absolutely um, unfulfilled or unrewarded lives and so on. Um, you cannot, I think represent all the harshnesses and bleaknesses uh of an unbalanced world in literature and expect people to continue reading books because there's very little there's there's little literary pleasure in a in a project that that doesn't resolve itself with the unities that you know aristotle told us we needed um so i think you know people who've Who've worked against the tradition of the novel, um, with the intention of representing the way the world actually is, have tried to push um, against those rules of comfort, consolation, and resolution, if I can put it mm. that way. And those yeah. are my instincts too. So, with with a character like Salome, and I'm sorry, I'm giving her South African pronunciation. I know yes, I know dear, dear. Salome dear. is is the more the more usual one, but. Um, Salome is named, in fact, after a a lady who looked after me in my infancy. So her name sort of matters to me. um, To go into her psyche, to render her inner life um, in the same way that I'm doing with the white characters, is in some way to imply that her place is on the same level as all the other characters and mm. that um, she is part, an integrated part of the world that I'm depicting, when in fact I, uh, that is absolutely you know, not true about South Africa. A character, a person in real life like Salome, who you will see every day on the streets outside, still yeah. has no yeah. voice and no presence in modern South African life, even you know, 30 years or nearly 30 years into democracy. So that, for me, is a problem that needs to be represented or embodied in the book. So I took the decision not to go there, um, yes. to circle yeah. around her being, as it were, um, but to create an awareness for the reader that this is a blank spot, that this this is a question at the heart of the book that has not been answered. Um, yes. With with the hopeful intention that it would make people uncomfortable and and leave them with the sense of something that has not been worked out, has not been resolved. So um, it's interesting to me that um, the people who've been bothered by that, bothered by it in a literary sense, are mostly English critics. Mm -hmm. Nobody here has responded in that way. There's an almost instinctive comprehension that what's being represented is is accurate if I can put it that way because I think people instinctively know and understand that such a person uh, occupies that space in just that way does it does that make
2: sense yeah it does make sense and it's it's it was inescapable it seemed to me in reading the novel I think there is a maybe there are a few lines in which you very briefly inhabit her consciousness as she's sitting outside uh, Salome's uh, consciousness as she's sitting outside her house, but um, but essentially yes, the fact that the fact that she is a a speaking silence in the book seemed absolutely considered and um, deliberate.
0: For those who are joining us, this is a 2021 interview between literary critic for The New Yorker, Mr. James Wood, and South African novelist Damon Galgut, about Mr. Galgut's 2021 winner of the Man Booker Prize, The Promise. The host for this event was Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon. To learn more about Powell's Books, please visit Powell's.com. To listen to this entire episode, please visit us on Facebook at forward slash Lou Reed's FM.
2: The thing it made me think of, uh, which is in some ways absolutely appropriate, and in other ways, a different kind of book, but uh, there's a novel I I really like called Loving by Henry Green that he published in 1945 that's a country house novel set in Ireland. It's an upstairs, downstairs novel, mostly mostly it's written in dialogue, and it's mostly written in dialogue uh, of the servants. Uh, The upper classes sort of make an appearance, but it's really a servant novel, Um, and often he describes the servants at dinner, they're all transplanted, they're all transplanted English people, they're all Cockneys, they speak in broad Cockney uh, dialect and jokes and so on that are are wonderfully transcribed, and at the table, the only non-English person at the servant's table when they say have dinner downstairs, um, is Paddy the Irishman, who's a driver, Um, and Paddy is either completely mute, or whenever he speaks, no one can understand what he's saying and that's what it actually made me think of it's like yes that's right. uh that that's uh, that there's no false consolations will be offered that's his position at the table in relation to the english servants um they're all servants but some people are more servants than others uh seem right. to be yeah. the implication and i thought that was uh, yeah you, you i i didn't worry about it i i i simply had my attention drawn to it by by the form of your novel um i don't want to i don't want to run out all the time uh, that people may have uh, people may have questions so um, lots of people said how much they enjoyed reading the promise uh um, all right uh damon um did you experience conflict with your editors and
3: publisher over your style of writing <laughs> no in fact not at all um I mean, I, I will say that having um, stumbled on this um, narrative voice, um, while it gave me a great sense of excitement to be, you know, um, working with it and playing with it, um, it did it did generate um, a corresponding insecurity. I mean, I think if you if you do deviate from the established approaches, writing wise. You're essentially going into terrain that's unfamiliar um, to you, so you know you you have to kind of learn the rules or or um, make them up as you go along. Um, I was not sure that what was exciting and thrilling me was going to excite or thrill anybody else. So I, I I did feel deeply insecure through the writing of the book and and stopped at several points to ask sort of close friends if they would cast an eye over sequences of it and just tell me whether it was actually working for them or not um mm. then you know no sooner is one reassured than you start to think well that was a friend I showed it to maybe <laughs> you know um, maybe uh, an editor is going to react differently so you know the the real moment of truth only came when I when I could hand over the the complete book um to be read by a, a few select people and um it was you know a huge relief to know that it, it spoke to them um but um yeah it 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 was entirely possible in my own mind that an editor could have uh got this book and said you know we 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 can't do it like this it, it just doesn't make sense it's it's a mess or whatever it may be right. um in which case i yeah I, I probably would have had to jettison it and think of something else because uh, The sort of multi voiced uh, mode of narration was just too much, you know, grown into the book by then for me to think about it in any other way. Sorry, that's a very long answer to a simple question. No no editors or publishers gave me a hard time on, on this score at all. It's certainly wonderful to think of you, to think of the leap
2: between from you worrying about the novel, thinking you might abandon it anxiously asking friends uh, to look at it and, and uh, you know, triumph at the book. That's, uh, this, is, uh, this is a fairy tale that uh, that is yours um, and, that, and that many uh, would, would want to experience, uh, although it may not have felt exactly like a fairy tale in the last uh, few weeks. You've been um, doing endless publicity and, 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 the, and the rest of it. Um, well,
3: fairy tales are often very dark and cruel stories, actually. Um, <laughs> so yeah <laughs> um got an, another
2: question about uh the promise of, uh, carolyn kirby writes i love the promise a fantastic performance on the audio audio book too by the way i don't know if it's you voicing that uh, or not uh, no but no. It,
3: it is a south african um actor who's narrated it yeah right
2: I'm just curious. Uh, she writes in this novel, laden with symbolism, whether there was a deeper meaning to the lightning strike on Amor. Uh, if I'm pronouncing
3: her name right, uh, in her childhood. Um, no, not. I, I. wouldn't say a deeper meaning. I, I. I. Um. I wanted there to be something a little bit, the matter with Amor, uh, or, or to put it slightly differently, I wanted mm-hmm. her to be set apart from the rest of the cast, um, and you know, I knew that something had happened to her a long time ago to make that true. And I decided on the lightning. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, it, it doesn't go any further than, um, the notion that, um, you know, as several members of Amor's family comment that, you know, there's, that there's something the matter with her, there's something wrong with her. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, 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 didn't want to make her too saintly or you know morally exemplary so I I, I'd like to leave that as a slightly open question for the reader is her moral resolve to see the promise through um you know truly altruistic or is it is is it because there's something wrong with her and that she cannot let go of this particular dogged principle that she that she feels stuck to yes Incidentally, James, you, you picked up um, in your review on uh, a connection between, you know, uh, Howard's End and, you know, the, the, the land issue or the farm novel in, in this book, which really interested me because it never consciously struck me. But I, yeah. I do think those, those unconscious connections carry over, you know, book to book. So I sort of felt yeah. as if you, you'd put your finger on one there. It illuminated something for me that uh, I hadn't quite understood myself. Well i
2: thought yeah, I thought of howard's end not obviously because of the, you've written your novel about about forster, but also because it has that optimistic ending at the end as i as I remember both from the novel and 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 uh from the merchant Ivory movie um of the sort of children in a in a in a in a fertile field of hay, you know their children are, and someone comes running in and says, you know the children are having such a, a time of it and it's going to be a wonderful harvest and and that's your sort of classic allegorical novel novelist novelistic ending um, uh, which is you know there's abundance to come it's going to be all right um, and I guess that was a time you know if we think of Lawrence ends the rainbow in 1915 with a with a rainbow you know the, you, <laughs> you ended with big big symbols um, and when when it, when I looked at your novel, um, one was struck by um, by that absence, relatively speaking, and particularly the thing of uh, of Anton and Desiree not being able to have children. Um, and, and perhaps I was reading that too allegorically, but that's why I, I made that Forster uh, connection. I did want to ask you, and this may be too personal, but but since you were talking about how interest, you know, this question of what go what goes into a novel how a novel is written, uh, and so on. Um, was the writing, I mean, once you found, once you came back from from the film experience and realized, oh, I can do something with the voice, did the writing get easier? Was the writing generally fairly quick with this book? Um, and and just, this is a silly question, but, but how many hours a day do you write uh, fiction? I'm interested in that.
3: Yeah no it's not it's not a silly question um i i find a first draft um and of of almost anything uh almost you know, cl- very close to unbearable It feels to me like um i'm mud wrestling with some invisible opponent in the dark and um you know i never feel i'm going to win um but that's just because you're trying to figure out everything from the names of characters to, you know, the little tones of plot to, um, you know, the bigger questions of what it is you're trying to say. Um, yeah. Once it's mapped out, though, um, pleasure begins to enter the process. Um, and the, the narrative voice, although I um, found it early on, took on its you know its its freest form in in those those last drafts probably you know the last overhaul where I knew the answers to all of the smaller questions and I was really reaching for the flow of it because Mm. it 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 was a narrative voice that that gave you enormous flow um even though it jumps and and the real difficulty incidentally in the in the writing of this book um is in the transitions it's 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 in the those jumps um usually usually transitions in time rather than in in points of view um those were the most challenging sort of sorts of aspects but um yeah i I, I start out because it's so unpleasant. The the beginning parts of a book, I, I, I sometimes squander days, you know, s- scratching around two paragraphs. But I, oh. I you know, I, I like to think I'm figuring things out at the back of my head. And that probably is true because I, I you know, do eventually get to the end of a murky first draft. But by the last stages, um, and certainly the last eight months, nine months of the writing of this book, uh, I become so obsessed that it's very hard to stop. So I, I sort of have the opposite problem that I, I put in over long hours and kind of tire myself. But um, yeah. I, I would say um, when I'm in a good flow and a good groove, I, I, can, I can write um, pretty much all day, sometimes into the night. If, uh, Ooh, that's, if I, would that make me very envious. Uh, that's that's that sounds. That, yeah, but it's it's great. really not the norm. I, I promise you, uh, it takes it takes a good while to to work up a, an obsession like that. It's yeah. it's certainly not the way I I begin.
2: Well, thank you, Damon, very much for this. This has been tremendous. I I, I think our hour is up, uh, and our and our audience questions are, are exhausted too. Um, but I, I, you and I could probably go on a long time. But um, thank you, and. Um, Huge congratulations. Uh, I was so excited when you won the prize. Uh, I hoped and hoped, but uh, we all know not to hope for these things. And for once, they got it right. So uh, nice to
3: see you. And um, thank you again. Thank you, James. It's been a great conversation. Thank you very much.
0: That's it for this episode of Will Read. The 2022 Pulitzer Prizes will be announced on May 9th. We'll see who the winners are in each category and what's in store for the second half of our 2022 season. This is Louisville Reads. I'm Dave Campbell. Thanks for listening.